Yeah, Tuesday, May 10th. Welcome to your Richie Allen Show. How are you doing today? Well, good, good, good news. I've got two very good guests for you, I think. Please feel free to join in the conversation. RichieAllen.co.uk, that's my website. Let's do the show. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, you you very well may have heard of Mark Sharman. Mark is a very experienced and accomplished television journalist and print journalist. He's worked for Channel 4 for Sky Sports News for Sky Sports in executive positions. Mark isn't happy with the conduct of the commercial, the mainstream media over the past couple of years and maybe beyond. And he's been very outspoken of late about that. So I've invited him onto the programme to chat about it. Mark Sharman, television executive, uh, accomplished and very well respected. He joins the programme this hour. A little bit later on, Freedom from Abuse, Marilyn Hawes returns to the programme. Wonderful woman, we spoke only a month or so ago, we said we would do a programme on the impact of pornography on children and coincidentally there is news on that today. So we'll talk about that with Marilyn Hawes in the second hour. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen, broadcasting live from uh, the legendary BBG Towers, the only man-made object visible in Salford anyway, visible from from Eccles, apparently. Right, enough of that nonsense. Welcome, good to be with you. Sorry I missed you yesterday afternoon, had a few things going on, the old private life. Nothing to do with the programme whatsoever, uh, but I wasn't in any condition to do a programme yesterday. I had no prep done. Like I said, don't read anything into it. Uh, personal thing, these things resolve themselves eventually. But thanks for your Kind words. I, I looked at the website earlier on. I saw some nice messages. Thank you for that, for those. Now, an internal BBC investigation has concluded that Panorama, which is a flagship BBC programme, it concluded its own investigation, the BBC, its own investigation found that Panorama made a number of false claims about the threat of climate change. This is very interesting. It broadcast an episode called Wild Weather, which I didn't see. I'm sure you didn't either. Presented by Justin Rowlett, or Rowlett. Rowlett, I would say. He's the BBC's climate editor. Now, in the programme, it was claimed that deaths are rising globally because of extreme weather caused by climate change. That isn't true. That's a nonsense. Not even the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That doesn't claim that um, people are dying because of um, extreme weather caused by climate change. It's a nonsense. Uh, Panorama also claimed that Madagascar will be the first country to suffer a famine caused by climate change. That's a nonsense too. And uh, this was picked up today by the Mail Online and by the Telegraph, but not by, well, at least I didn't see. It wasn't picked up too much elsewhere. It wasn't picked up elsewhere. At least I didn't see anyway. Okay. And an interesting side note to this programme is that Justin Rowlett, the climate editor for the BBC, his sister is a member of Extinction Rebellion, or 
Insulate Britain, actually. It's Insulate Britain, Cordelia. And she was arrested for staging a protest on Junction 3, funnily enough, of the M25. Now, look, that should have no bearing on his ability to objectively present a programme on climate change. It's just an interesting little aside. Uh, She was fined 300 quid, so she was, for causing a nuisance on a public highway. So the BBC is telling lies about climate change. We know this. We also know that the BBC sent a memo around to its production staff, its news producers, its writers and its presenters. We know this because before the media even had this memo, I had it because it was sent to me by a lovely journalist who uh, is no longer working for the BBC, not because he was fired. He left the BBC and he was good enough to send me the memo. The memo stated quite simply that the science has settled on climate change and that in the future, BBC programmes shouldn't look for balance when talking about climate change. In other words, don't allow academics on, no matter how qualified, who suggest that climate change isn't as serious as as it's being made out to be. Yes, that's the BBC. Okay. Now, uh, Stig Abel is a journalist, allegedly, and he works for Times Radio these days. Yes, of late, the Times has a radio show. It's on DAB, apparently. Yeah, and Liam Halligan has been on it. Now, we've heard from Liam before. Liam is one of these evangelicals. He's a member of Insulate Britain, and Liam is convinced that the end is nigh. We're all going to die. My, oh my. He really is. You've heard him before on talk radio, arguing with presenters on there. Today, he went on Times Radio, where he was guaranteed less of a chasing. That's the term we use when describing when we go after guests because they're bull spitting. We give them a chasing. And Liam didn't get so much of a chasing off of Stig Abel, but there were still some high comedy moments in the chat. Here's Liam. Well, how many people... Well, at the end of the day, let's look at what the situation is. We've currently got absolutely catastrophic heat waves occurring in Pakistan and India. We've had heat waves in... And very hot weather in Pakistan and India before. To the point where glaciers are melting in the Himalayas and destroying infrastructure, bridges. And it's getting to the point... Um, where it's uh, so hot that we're reaching the limits of human survivability. Do you, do, you, do you understand what the wet bulb effect is? Have you ever looked into it? The, the wet, wet bulb effect? No, he, he's never heard of the wet bulb effect, Stig Abel, the presenter. Now, neither have I. Well, I hadn't until today. What, Liam Halligan, mad Liam, is the wet bulb effect, pray tell? So it's a... Uh, 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 the temperature becomes too great where this, the human body can't self-regulate and... Um, and what? Pretty instantly dies, basically, <laughs> um, because, it, because it becomes too hot. And that's the sort of temperatures that we're reaching. Right. What was that again? Tom, did you hear that? Did you hear what Liam said, Tom? No. Could you repeat it? Because I, I can't believe my fucking ears. Let's hear Liam again. So it's, uh, 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 the temperature becomes too... The wet bulb effect. Yes, that's it. So it's, uh, 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 the temperature becomes too great where this, the human body can't <laughs> self-regulate and um, pretty instantly dies. Dies. Basically, um, because, it, because it becomes too hot. And that's the sort of temperatures that we're reaching. No, no, it isn't at all. Now, Stig Abel, he comes across old Stig... I used to see him quite often 
as a talking head. You know, he would do newspaper reviews for for Sky News at times. And he seems an amiable guy. But even if Liam is barking mad, even if Liam is as mad as a litter of golden retriever puppies running around a bouncy castle, you've still got to take him to the cleaners when he says, we're reaching those temperatures now. We're not, or anything like it. Here's a bit more. Um, we're almost, it's, it's a non-linear point. So at, at 52 degrees, um, people may survive, but then at 54 degrees... At 52 degrees, they might survive, but 54? We're going to be potentially getting to... Potentially? ...to this situation where hundreds of thousands, if yeah. not millions of people <laughs> die. So this... Oh, Stig, what's wrong with you? This is what we call an open goal. Just take him apart. Where are you getting this from, Liam? I read it on the internet. Yeah, exactly. This is the situation that we're currently in. So how can you ask ordinary people to not um, resist that? Yes, we're going to burn to death. It's getting so warm. Our bodies won't be able to take it. We're just going to die. Come on, Stig. How can you ask people not to glue themselves to the highways? Now, highways are made from tarmac. Asphalt or asphalt. Mancunians say asphalt. But then Mancunians are a little bit on the thick side. No, they're not. They say asphalt. It's asphalt, isn't it? Or am I wrong again? Because I'm wrong all the bloody time. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is asphalt. If things get as bad as Liam reckons they'll get, well, at least we won't have to worry about them gluing themselves to the roads and blocking the traffic. Kind of criminality when we've got a government that are in the process of licensing 41 new gas um, and oil licences. It's completely criminal behaviour. And Pretty Patel um, is receiving hundreds of thousands of pounds from oil companies. So we know what side she's on. I, but look, look, I understand the argument about the, 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 climate, the problem of climate change. You know, we, we cover it very regularly on this programme. I, I don't d disagree with you that it's important that action is taken. Here's the thing I'd love to hear your thoughts on, because this thing I never quite understand. Many would agree with you that we should insulate homes better. There's a logical argument, a persuasive one. It works economically, it works environmentally. But if I can't get to work or to hospital or to see my family because someone has blocked the road, it doesn't make me insulate my house. It doesn't make the government insulate my house. It just ruins my life and makes me hate you. And it actually makes me stop listening to you because I'm so annoyed. It doesn't seem like good protesting. That's the concern. Not about whether climate change is real. I think that's an argument that's well made and it's been won. This type of action, though, doesn't advance that argument. It actually kicks in the shins the people who want to be sympathetic to you. I'm sorry, but you didn't know what the wet bulb effect is, and you're a journalist. <laughs> but you didn't know what the wet bulb effect is. I don't know what I'm even doing talking to Times Radio. You don't even know what the wet bulb effect is. At that stage, Stiggs should say to him, well, Liam, I, I gave you a pass there. I ignored it because it's barking effing mad. You just told me that temperatures are going to get to 52, 54 degrees and that hundreds of millions of people are going to drop stone dead. I gave you a pass, Liam, because I think you're crazy. I think you belong in a mental institution. So don't throw back the wet bulb effect at me, son. The question was, and it's a good one, gluing yourself to petrol pumps, gluing your arses to highways and potentially in positioning people like doctors who are rushing to attend the needs of their patients or ambulances transporting people to hospital 
It's unlikely to endear themselves to your cause, dear Liam. So you don't owe... So you don't yeah, but you gluing, Listen, listen, to, no, that's rubbish. That's a nonsensical point. You could pick any number of things and I do or do not know. Do I accept, do I argue regularly that climate change is a real thing? Yes. Does this station do that? Yes. Is the argument well made, well discussed, with scientific basis? Yes. No, it isn't. It's no to all three of those things, but we'll let that slide. You gluing yourself to a radio does not into a radio impact that sorry glue yourself to a road does not impact that that's the point i'm making it's the tactics i'm disputing not the overall thesis but you've just said it's going to ruin your life by somebody gluing on the road but i tell you what is going to ruin your life <laughs> is that when we reach surpassed average global temperatures of 1.5 and 2 degrees we're going to have 1 billion people displaced we're not we're not going to have a billion people displaced liam there from insulate britain Speaking to Times Radio today, all credit to Times Radio for sourcing nutters. I shouldn't refer to the chap as a nutter, and I do that, and then I correct myself, and you think he's gaslighting us. What does he really think? What I really think is many of these people are genuinely terrified. They really are. A guy like Halligan, I, I believe he is convinced that we are all going to burn to death on planet Earth in the very near future, unless we revert back to a Stone Age-style existence. He believes it. Therefore, I don't bear him any ill feelings. I have no ill feelings towards him. I just feel sorry for him. But there are more and more of him. And if they eventually become the majority, well, what are you going to do? Let's uh, talk about something else momentarily. Johnny Wilkinson was a fantastic number 10. Now, I like a bit of rugby union, but I'm not speaking with any great authority. I like it. He was a brilliant player, Wilkinson, and a key member he was of the England team that won the World Cup in 2003. They beat the Aussies in their own backyard, a monumental achievement. Think Martin Johnson and Austin Healy, I think, and people like that. Great, great team it was. Physical team. Now, he has told a podcast that he had an anxiety, he's had anxiety issues for some years as Johnny Wilkinson, but he told the podcast that the COVID lockdown triggered it and it was a devastating time period for him. He said the anxiety that came on with lockdown was surprising and hit him without any warning. Now, why are we hearing this? Well, this week is so-called Mental Health Awareness Week. So if you've been reading the papers this week, if you've been watching the television news or listening to the radio, you will have heard even quite a bit about mental health awareness. Right. I don't like this constant harping on about mental health because it isn't just this week. It's never ending. But that's an issue for another day. So Johnny Wilkinson has been talking about what the lockdown did to him. And coincidentally, a survey has revealed that three in four mothers of primary school children are worried about the impact that lockdowns have had on their children's mental wellness. Okay, so three quarters of mums of primary school kids. Now, these are the mums they surveyed. They surveyed 2,000 mums of primary school kids and he said, what do you think about how your children are feeling? And three in four of them said they're worried that the lockdowns have done them no good whatsoever. 74% of parents said they're concerned about their children's mental health and that it had become a greater priority for them since uh, the 
pandemic. So nearly half of the parents surveyed, 44%, said their children had experienced mental health challenges. 46% said their children had been lonely because of the pandemic. Now this is BBC Bite Size and Net Mums. They commissioned the survey and the survey was undertaken by a company I think called Surveation, right? So it's BBC Bite Size and Net Mums. Parents increasingly concerned that the lockdowns have changed their children and impacted on their mental health. So Rachel Burden of BBC Radio 5 Live spoke to two mums about this. I happened to grab this when I was out running this morning and I thought you might find this interesting. It's a little bit depressing, but it's important that we hear it. In the context of the fact, or in light of the fact, I should say, that the inquiry into the handling of the COVID-19 situation isn't too concerned about the impact on children. It isn't. And that's going by its own terms of references. You know this because we've spoken about it before. So Rachel Borden, BBC, speaking then to two mums about what's happened to their children. Very interesting. Homeschooling was very, very tough. I would have to call school regularly and say, we're just not going to make it on the call today. <laughs> we're just. It was meltdowns every single day. Um, we got to the point that she wouldn't leave the house at all. Didn't want to be around any people, was just absolutely freaked out. We did have a few nice days where we managed to get out to a park, but more often than not, by the end of it, there was a massive meltdown because she just was just not coping with any interaction whatsoever. Could she articulate why? No. So it might be that... What would come out was extreme anger about a very tiny thing. Mm. How did you cope? It was very difficult. And I think there wasn't really anywhere to go to get help. I tried. It was that we didn't get any, basically. Mm. Initially, obviously, because the school weren't experiencing it, they were kind of like, well, um, you know, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's fine. She seemed fine on the call today. And I was like, yeah, you haven't seen this. She's punching the door in. As we started to go back to quote-unquote normality, um, she has dropped out of all the things that she did pre-pandemic. What sort of support or facilities do you think should be in place for parents? I think she needs to be able to talk to somebody who, who is able to work with her to articulate some of the things that she's feeling. She's not doing the things she used to do before the pandemic, says that parent. Now listen to Janet. What I've seen from them is like some really impressive resilience, but I have seen how the, they've responded differently to it. The nine-year-old found it a lot more difficult than my seven-year-old. Her football was cancelled and I knew she'd take the news so badly that I actually broke it to her just before school at the gate. Because <laughs> like, she, she did, she was crying. What, what do you mean football's not coming back? Not being around her friends broke her. Both my nine-year-old and my seven-year-old adore grandma. We couldn't see her. She used to meet us after school. So yeah, all, all of that was difficult on them as well. And on Difficult on them. I think the great journalist John Waters once said on this programme they should be taken out and horsewhipped, the people who did that, to children, separated them from their grandparents, stopped them going and playing sports and playing outside and outdoors and in parks with uh, other children. It's a dreadful thing to hear this, isn't it? On me. And what about when lockdown was over and getting back into the swing of school and getting back into things like friendship groups? How easy was that process? That 
was really easy. What I saw was the immediate transformation of her mood of just being back with her friends and playing football. Well, let's hope, Janet, next time they propose a lockdown that you're a bit more vocal about it than you were before the first one in 2020. The time is 20 minutes past the hour. Have I got time for this? Have I? Have I, Bill? There's no Bill. Great friend of mine used to do that. Have I, Natasha? Have I got time yet? Uh, Bill Gates is everywhere because he's got a book coming out. We heard from Gates on on last week's programme, didn't we? Or on one of the programmes last week. He's been speaking this week to Fareed Zakaria, CNN. Again, looking ahead to future pandemics and there are, well, there are one or two interesting little things in this. Have a listen. Gates in conversation with Fareed Zakaria. Let's imagine the next pandemic, okay? It starts up, and many of these have started up somewhere in Asia, probably East Asia, for a whole variety of reasons. Um, What is the Bill Gates plan? What would you like to see happen when you first, the the first time you hear about some people getting infected by some kind of airborne virus? Now, this is a computer geek. He's asking a computer geek with no qualifications in science or medicine, what will you do next time there's a pandemic? What difference, what, what, what does it matter what he would do? He's not a scientist. It's astonishing this, isn't it? You have a CNN presenter asking Bill Gates, what are his plans for the next pandemic? Virus. Wow. Yeah, the big risk is human-to-human transmissible respiratory uh, virus. He's been on the helium balloons again. I'd like to have a group um, connected with the World Health Organization that sees that outbreak early and is able to go in and look, uh, sequence what it is, understand the nature of it, uh, have some tools that aren't dependent on the specific pathogen that you can give people not just masks, but also some drugs to block transmission. That's the bit I wanted you to hear. Okay, so we're, we're imagining a future pandemic, and there will be others, there won't be, but there will be, if you know what I mean. Um, they'll invent them. This is my opinion now, it's just conjecture, right? I'm not basing this on any knowledge. I believe there will be more and the measures will get more extreme. Listen to what he says, not just masks, but we'll have drugs for people to help to prevent transmission. Now that's very spooky, that. We'll have a drug that we'll offer to you in order that when you take it, you won't be so likely to transmit the virus. Civic pathogen that you can give people not just masks, but also some drugs to block transmission. And you want to stop it before it gets to lots of countries, which is when it becomes a... a So So close down the borders again and all of that nonsense. I won't subject you to any more of that. Just thought that was interesting. Not just masks, but we have drugs we can give to people to uh, help to prevent them transmitting the virus. Going to speak to television executive Mark Sharman in a couple of moments' time. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. It's May 10th, 2022. I'm the BBG. There's, there's only one. There shall be only one. This is Dire Straits, Sultans of Swing. Comment on the programme, richieallen.co.uk. It's Comment Live. Welcome. You get a shiver in the dark, it's Right at Dire Straits and uh, Sultans of Swing on the Richie Allen Show. 26 minutes, it is past 5 o'clock. Thanks for the messages on the website. To leave a comment, go to richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live. Uh, Hundreds of uh, comments there already on the Bill Gates comments to CNN and on Liam's comments 
on Times Radio about the impact of climate change. I'll read those out a little bit later on. Delighted to uh, welcome my first guest to the programme. He is a hugely experienced and vastly accomplished journalist, television and print as well. He's worked for B, Sky B, for Sky, for Sky Sports News, for Channel 4, for ITV. Highly respected journalist. And I came across him, I think, first late last year when I heard that he was asking some questions about how the media conducted itself or has conducted itself over the last couple of years. Maybe the loss of objectivity around reporting on COVID and matters around COVID and the pandemic. So I've invited him on and I'm glad to say he's accepted. Let's welcome Mark Sharman to the programme. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Lovely to meet. No, lovely to meet you. Thanks to our mutual friend Jackie for setting it up. Thanks for doing it. When did you begin to become a bit uncomfortable with what you were hearing or reading, whether it's TV or newspapers, around COVID? When do you remember a moment, Mark, when you said something is not right here? Yes, um, I think I think it was the numbers, uh, which when. like everybody else, you know, we didn't know what this virus was about and we locked down and, you know, there were people coming home and watching the shopping and spurring everything and it was quite scary. But there came a point where um, the numbers didn't seem to add up. Um, you know, if you remember, they were quoting deaths from COVID or COVID deaths within 28... Uh, sorry, I've got the wrong way around. They were quoting deaths from any cause within 28 days of having a positive COVID test Um, and it didn't seem to add up the numbers were piling up and of course they very quickly became converted into COVID deaths and all of the papers and the television were obsessed with that scorecard every day how many COVID deaths and it just seemed an exaggeration to me and I was expecting um, Boris and the medical gurus to be questioned about it uh, but of course they never were um most of the political correspondents wanted more lockdowns and more restrictions and more border controls um there was never anybody saying hang on a minute are you sure you've got these numbers right um and of course many many of them were in care homes which is an um a completely different issue and i think somewhere around that time i began to feel or began to wonder whether this virus was actually as bad as it seemed, because I'd, I wasn't really meeting anybody that had had it. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it probably went from there. And as the months went by, um, it became increasingly obvious, and scientific research has backed this up since, it became obvious that the terrible restrictions on people's lives were doing far more damage than than the COVID virus was. Um Lockdowns have been proved not to be not to work very well. Um, masks have been proved not to work very well. And the doctors I'm talking to now, um, some of them are saying, admitting that um, the vaccine should really have been uh, limited to the elderly and the sick and those that really needed it. Um, there was never a need, I don't think, and I'm hearing from certain medics, that there was never a need to roll out this vaccine to the whole population. Um, you know, I'm 72. I'm in, fortunately in good health. Um, I, uh, 
I read that I was about 99% certain to to overcome COVID if I got it, which didn't seem to me like, like a, a terrible disease. So, um, but over the months, really, the narrative's never been challenged. Um, Did you find yourself course, screaming at, I mean, you've done it all, really. I, I'm envious. You've, I know in Birmingham you worked in newspapers, you've done television, you've done news, you've done it all. So you must have found yeah. yourself screaming at the radio and at the television at times with frustration that the challenge from the presenter wasn't forthcoming. Well, more than that, I, I, I got in touch with some of my old colleagues, Did you know, friends, people I'd worked with. Um, people I'd uh, I'd seen their careers develop, and they were pretty blocked out. I mean, the the answers were: we believe in what we're doing, we're very proud of what we're doing, and at the same time, um, I was talking to journalists within, certainly within newspapers and some in television, who were admitting that they were not comfortable with what was going on, and they were they were offering st- stories that were against the narrative, and they were being turned down. Why do you think that is? This is the $64 million question. Why was there uniformity in the media coverage of it? Why was there a complete blanket, almost, you know, a decision not to challenge it? Is there something sinister there or or not? Do you think they genuinely feared that we were in the middle of a deadly disease, a deadly outbreak, and we better do what we can, you know, to encourage people to follow the rules? Which which is it, or or is it even more grey than the two scenarios I've outlined? Well, that that it's a very interesting question. Um, I'll give them the benefit and say to start with, I, I, as I felt, um, it was a dangerous virus. We didn't know what it was, and therefore it made sense to to um, follow the government line. Um, but there's no real excuse why that's continued for two years. Um, I mean. <laughs> Ofcom put out a, uh, advice to broadcasters, the like of which I'd never seen, which basically warned them against questioning the government line and government policy. That's right. Um, government policy was accepted, and really you weren't to question it. Now, I've never seen that in uh, outside of war times. Um, I've never seen an instruction like that or advice like that. And there is no doubt that, in my mind, that it. It, uh, it forged a way to go, and, and people didn't challenge it. As far as newspapers go, um, you know, they've made a, f- a fantastic amount of money from government advertising at a time when other businesses were struggling. So, you know, make your own connection, really. Can I ask you this? When, when you were director of broadcasting and when you had responsibility for Sky Channels, including Sky News, and yeah. do, do you think... Do you think it could have happened on your watch? And that's not a cheeky question because I don't know you that well. But look, we've all had pressure editorially. We've all had pressure. I've had it in radio over the years where managing editors have asked us not to cover a story for a while or maybe to drop a story. You know, it's happened to me because of advertising issues and stuff like that. And that bugged me. But, you know, I, I either walked away or I swallowed it. Do you like to think that if you'd still been involved with Sky News, would you have intervened and said to Kay and to, to Colin Brazier, even though he's gone off to GB News now, that you would have said, hey, guys, enough now. You've got to challenge this stuff. Well, I'd like to think so. Um, yeah. Of course, the ownership of Sky was different then. Sky News was owned by um, News Corporation, or 39%. So it was still a medical organisation. 
it's very different now. It's owned by Comcast, an American yeah. company. And they own all kinds of media in the States and around the world. And it does seem to, certainly if you look in the States, it's a very common message that goes out. Um, they're down to script lines. You know, it, it's very, um, it's very together. Uh, but just to go back on what I was saying before, um, you know, to be generous, I think, yes, Ofcom and were probably right to start with. But there was a point where the questions should have been asked because it was obvious there were there were things that weren't that weren't right. What, what beyond that, you know, you have to look at the whole world picture because everybody's media and everybody's government in the Western world seem to go in lockstep. Um, the same scripts, the same uh, vocabulary, the same decisions. So I think probably it all comes back to the WHO or um, or whoever at a higher level than government. It, it, it isn't a coincidence that everybody in the Western world reacted in exactly the same way, in, especially in terms of media and the way it was presented. I mean... There was an event called Event 201 in New York in October 2019, which was the WEF and Bill Gates Foundation. Um, and they basically had a, they didn't call it a rehearsal for a pandemic, but they called it a simulation. But given that they, that it was only weeks away, um, and the advice to governments out of that was to flood the market with um information, uh, authoritative information, and when it came to the media, suppress any opposing views, uh, especially involving um, technological means. Now, I can only assume that filtered down to each com company and each country, and maybe Ofcom's stance was based on that. Um, but you know, but it, it doesn't it, explain, it, it doesn't explain, Mark. During that period, I and one or two others we're doing as much as we could to find academics with impressive credentials who were challenging it. And we did manage to find some. In 2020, I had people on um, from Harvard University, I think gentleman's name is Martin Kuldorf and others. And what I found, and it even surprised me, was that th the, the media then began to attack those people for speaking to the independent media. I started going after them. And it horrified some of these academics because they never expected it. They never saw it coming. And they got back in touch with me and they were like, I can't believe this. You know, I've come on with you. I've given an opinion. And at the same time, they were aghast that they were not being invited. Like in New York, he wasn't invited to speak on television or radio there. And that's another factor here, which makes me suspect that there was something a bit more sinister going on, was that they seemed to be ready uh, to deal with the academics who would come out and say, hang on a second, COVID is not as serious as you're making it out to be and we don't really need to, you know, mess up society in this way. We could do it another way. They went after those academics, didn't they? They really went to town on them. You know, equated them with yeah. being far right and all sorts of crazy stuff, really. But I mean, that, that's, that's, I agree with you. That's where you move into the, the sinister grounds because it's one thing ignoring the other side of, in the other side of a story um, and not asking questions and not challenging it's another to censor and we've seen we've seen pretty awful censorship um, including the BBC I have to say and, and bias reporting um, 
really right right through. And of course, that is seems to be linked to big tech, which again would fit the two event two hundred one advice. I mean, big big tech have all taken the same view that the the official narrative about COVID is the only truth, the only information, and everything else is misinformation um, and misleading. And of course really top scientists, top doctors, top academics around the world um, have been have been deplatformed or dropped or censored or had I mean if you go onto Wikipedia and you pick someone like Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone, who's yes. a really serious scientist, or yes. Dr. Mike Eden, you know, their their the Wikipedia entry starts um, misinformation. It starts uh, an anti vax propagandist, um, you know, a spreader of misleading Information. I mean, it's disgraceful how blatantly people, untrue, isn't it? Well, can I ask you this yeah, then? The, blatantly untrue. These people's long-term careers, uh, brilliant careers, you know, are just discounted. And that if they don't agree with the science, if it's not their science, they're silenced. I mean, it seems amazing. But of course, the same applies over here to doctors. I mean, doctors have spoken out and have been brought before the GMC. Um, you know, and. and Life has been made very difficult for them, and also they've been smeared on on uh, social media. Um, yeah. So it, it does appear to be extremely uh, an extremely coordinated um, operation to to maintain what the official world line is on COVID. I've had those doctors on this program, and and Irish doctors who have had the same experience, and uh, I'm still shaking my head, like thinking about the reality that they've just asked some questions and they've been turned into pariahs. Now, you mentioned Event 201 and then we have COVID. Do you have some sympathy? This isn't a loaded question. I'm open-minded, me. I keep my mind open to every scenario, every possibility. I really do. Do you have some sympathy with those who feel that the virus was an excuse for people to take society down a more dark path, a kind of a more dystopian place. People who've always wanted to have more control over what it is we can do. Is that a step too far for you? I've had some bright people on this programme say they're convinced that this is what's happened, that they took a virus that, you know, existed. Some say it didn't, but I kind of think it probably did. And um, they've used it as the excuse to do things that maybe some people only dreamed of doing. Step too far for you, Mark, or, or do you consider that? No, it's it's hard to disagree with you. Um, you know, I mean, if you if you can struggle your way through Klaus Schwab's COVID-19, the Great Reset, um, it's basically a blueprint. Um, and between the lines there, there's all kinds of clues. Uh, and some not between the lines, some very obvious things. You know, they present this utopian world. And then... You know, when it turns out, it's it, it's basically surveillance and control, um, and it's it's hard to, it's hard to separate uh, that theory from from what's happening. What um, about those marks? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt I, you. I, think I, would, I would I would be less inclined to believe that if the countries were operating in a different way. In a but different it, way. it is so tied together, um, and and you know, so sort of world on a world corporate level, it, it's hard to to. To put that out of your mind, um, I mean, you know, there was a. You wonder why they force vaccines on a population, and especially children, and especially teenagers and children, you know, who were never ever going to be seriously ill from COVID. 
but they're forcing vaccines on them and they're forcing these vaccine passports. You know, so it's a very easy step from that to uh, identity passports and digital um, characteristics for everybody. Um, and the next step after that is digital currency. You know, and we, we are, it's quite easy to see the path we're on um, and quite difficult to see how it might be broken. Mark Sharman you know, is sorry. I was watching a girl the other day, and you know, she 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 basically bought a train ticket on a phone, and then she walked into the cafe and bought her food on the phone, and yeah. then she got on the on the um, train and took a picture of her breakfast and sent it to a friend, and then the other day I pulled into a gas station and there's a big sign you can now buy petrol um, on your phone, so they know what you know. The, everything we do is digitalized and it's all recorded somewhere and. It's a step towards total control, and it is it is hard to separate what's going on under the banner of COVID um, from the kind of theories you've just mentioned. And I've had there's one politician who talks to me privately, who who won't come on the program because when politicians have come on, they've been criticised for coming on, you know, to speak to the independent media. So some yeah. of them are a bit nervous about doing it, and um, but that's okay, fair enough. But one politician who is interested in some of the subjects I cover on this programme, but he's not convinced of the Great Reset. And he said, Richie, look, we are going down a bad road. I don't like the digital, um, the, the central bank digitalised currencies. I don't like cashless. I don't like any of that. But he said, it's also quite possible that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, they've always been there. This is an eccentric idiot with ideas about how society should should should, should travel, where we should move. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. And he also said maybe the reason they didn't stop the the ludicrous response to COVID or why they didn't reverse themselves was because it's often the case with politics and politicians. He said, once you dig yourself a bit of a hole, by the time you realise that this is, you know, the, the wrong road to go down, that lockdowns were wrong, that all this was wrong, it's a bit too late then. They don't like to admit they're wrong. Rather than acknowledge it, they just tend to keep digging and digging and digging. That's another theory. Mm. What do you think? Well, uh, what did you describe Klaus Schwab as just? Well, basically that, you know, an eccentric billionaire, they've always been around these guys with their ideas about life. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. But the WF, you know, it's not a minority concern. The WF is, is is the governments of the world and the huge corporations of the world and what they call themselves the elite of the world. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, it's a very powerful um, combination of, of, of interests. And you can see a, you can see a way where, whereby the, the huge corporations of the world are basically running governments. I mean, they call all of this a partnership between, between the corporations and governments. But you wonder who's pulling the strings. Um, I don't think it's a, an eccentric organization at all. I think it's, it's extremely powerful. Um, I mean, listen, I'm also constantly criticized, uh, questioning the, the role of, of the Gates Foundation the Bill, and Bill Gates because he may be um, the most generous man in the world. He may have the world's health absolutely at uh, front and center. However, it's totally wrong that the unelected um, guy has so much power and influence over so many institutions in the world from health medicine education um, agriculture foods 
and the media. He's put something like 320 million into media. That's now those right. tentacles right. go far and wide, and it's just wrong that somebody has that kind of influence and power um, just because he's wealthy. And um, he's unqualified. You know, and, and I think there are several of the players within the WF are like that. You know, they have untold wealth, and they can make things they can make things happen because of it. It's also very I mean, interesting, I, got, Mark. Sorry I've to interrupt you. I've got great concerns over over this the WHO pandemic treaty, which is coming up um, at speed. You know, this this treaty to deal with world pandemics uh, basically gives the WHO power over the sovereignty of 194 nations. That's right. So if we have another pandemic, they have the they have the power to tell us to lock down to mandate injections, to mandate uh, masks, to mandate anything. Um, you know, we, we, it's ironic that the, the nations voted, albeit narrowly, uh, to take back control from Europe. And then we're giving away a shed load of control to the World Health Organization. You know, and remember, again, a major, major contributor and therefore an influencer is Bill Gates and the, and the Gates Foundation. And, you know, He's not. He's not responsible to an electorate, and it is for me. It's very. It's anti-democratic, and it, and it's very dangerous. Yeah, major donor yeah, to the World Health Organization. World Health Organization. You're listening to Mark Sharman, folks, a vastly accomplished uh, television journalist and uh, and journalist who worked in uh, print as well. Worked for Sky Sports, Sky Sports News, executive positions now. Um, uh, Sky News, Sky One. As I said, newspapers as well. Mark has been asking questions um, with with respect to how the media has conducted itself during the last two and a half uh, years. And he's been looking beyond that and what might be really going on and why all of this might be happening. We've um, probably got about 10 minutes left. I'm grateful for your time today. We, we chatted off air briefly and we talked about the dreaded online harms bill. And before you come in, when this was put out for... When this was put out for um, for public consultation, uh, it must have been three years ago. I remember emailing Damien Collins and phoning his office and emailing them and asking, "Could I be um, heard at the uh, at hearings they were having at Westminster?" Not because I've got any bloody ideas about myself, but I I do have the most listened to independent news radio show in Europe. It is. It's a fact. It's well known. I said, "I it's 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 programs like this." I said that have the most to lose when you start doing, when you start discussing online harms and what can be said and what cannot be said and who can broadcast and who can't broadcast. I never heard back from these people. They ignored me. I got onto my own local MPs. They ignored me. I'm terrified of this online harms bill. There's even a provision in this bill, and I know this to be true, where somebody could go to prison for what they call, quote, knowingly, um, uh, uh, posting false information about uh, medicines uh, that, that might lead somebody to, to then decide to decline those medicines and which might cause that person uh, harm. There's so much stuff in there. I know you're obviously really, really concerned about where this is going to in terms of censorship. Well, I am because it's an extension of what we're seeing at the moment. I mean, it, it, you know, who decides what's true and what's information? And what's disinformation? You know, I mean, if we ba- if we ban discussion and free debate, and especially in, in scientific development, I mean, imagine if 
if this had been banned, you know, centuries ago, that we'd still think the world was flat. Yeah. You know, you've, you have to debate science. You have to be open to new ideas. And we're moving into an era, and the aforementioned WHO treaty is part of that, is that somebody is deciding what the answer is. The science is settled, and don't question it. And if you do question it, you could be in trouble. I mean, people like I mentioned before, uh, Mike Yeadon and Robert Malone, yeah, they, you know, we could be, we could face penalties. It's especially dangerous for um, independent media um, because that's where lots of these um, anti-views have, have been discussed. Yeah. Um, and you could find yourself in, in closed down. I mean, you know, it's handing more power to op- Ofcom again. We've just seen how Ofcom have, have, have had a big influence over COVID coverage. Um, take that a stage further, and Ofcom are going to have a role with big tech on what's true and what's not true. Well, that's, that, that isn't the way life works. Um, and they've said, I think, I've not studied the detail recently, but I'm sure that it, it said that recognized media are okay to still print things. But who decides what's recognized media in the modern world? There are lots of stations like yours and, and podcasts, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. who have quite a big influence. Um, they're afraid of us, I think. Uh, I think. I think they want, you know, they want to control it. It's all about control. I mean, talking about censorship, the, the big tech companies have been have been any single question of the COVID narrative and any mention of any other treatments or criticizing the vaccines or questioning Pfizer's trials, it's all closed down and plastered with misinformation. Um, and then along comes Sir Christopher Chope, who raises. Uh, his um, online harms bill, sorry, his um, vaccine harms bill in the House of Commons, and his speech by a member of parliament in the House of Commons under parliamentary privilege was taken down taken and marked down. as misinformation. Yeah. And I'm making a film at the moment with um, vaccine-injured people who are desperate because they're not being recognised um, they face a long, hard road for recognition, for treatment, and any kind of compensation. And they formed they formed several self-help groups. I mean, these people are desperate. You know, they're really, really poorly and mentally being gaslighted or gaslit, whatever the word is. Yeah. Um, um, and they form self-help groups, and they swap ideas, and they, they console each other, and they talk about what treatments might be working. Do you know these groups have also been taken down by Facebook? Um, and, and YouTube and paper. They've resorted to using symbols instead of words so it doesn't get taken down. You know, I mean, who is making these decisions? And why are we putting up with it? That's the ultimate question. Who is making the decision? And and then ultimately, why are people putting up with it? I don't know the answer to either of those. I know this particular programme, we've taken some big hits in the last couple of years um, just for talking to people. And uh, and that's not, it's, it's not about me or this programme. I can only speak for myself. I don't believe I'll be doing this in a year's time. I really don't. I don't see anything stopping this online harms bill. And I think eventually they will make it impossible for us to broadcast. You know that hundreds and hundreds of stations were kicked off of TuneIn, the TuneIn app. And they said it's yeah. down to music, but they're lying. I've managed to speak to somebody at TuneIn. They said, no, they're lying, Richie. You don't, you're not a music um, station. You see, I do a live radio show every day. It, it then becomes a podcast. But first and foremost, it's live radio. That's where the audience is. And they, they said that was the excuse mm. to get you off. 
you don't do music, you don't have any issues with music licensing. It, that, that, and that's a big deal for a show like this to get kicked off a tune-in. I, I, it's not going to stop this. I'm To say I'm delighted that somebody of your experience, uh, as well known as you, is raising these issues, and to say I'm delighted that you're making documentaries with people who have been injured is an understatement. I'm thrilled. But you've got to know this. And I'm not being sensational here. I'm not, Mark. You're going to take some hits in the media for this, you know, for oh, making I'm that sure. documentary. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. you know, that somebody will find something that they can dig out and and discredit, I'm sure. But, I mean, it's I am concerned, Richie, you know, and I'm quite pessimistic because all of this is about control. And, you know, if it was happening in Russia or China, we'd be we'd be saying how terrible it was. Yeah. But it's creeping in here. Well, it's not creeping. It, it's it's coming at a vast pace. You know, we are being closed down. Free speech is being threatened. Democracy is being threatened. You know, um, it's uh, especially when a, a, an MP speaks in the Commons and it gets caught in misinformation. I mean, for goodness' sake. Yeah, that's that's almost vaudevillian. That, to be honest, yeah. you know, at times you have to laugh and you wonder and you look around and yeah. But you know, I'm I'm going to retain some optim. I'm going to hold on to some optimism because what I'm finding with. You know, I I never rose to the heights you rose to in the legacy media. I didn't. But what I'm finding is more and more people like yourself, and they're usually, you know, recently retired or about to retire, are having the gumption to come out and talk about it. And that's, it's huge that. It's big for us that have been doing these independent shows for years that someone like yourself will say, look, I've had enough now. We've got to talk about this. And, you know, the more yeah. people like you do step out and say, right, yeah, this is wrong, uh, the better. When can we hope to see the um, the film about the, the vaccine injuries? Because I hear well, from a lot of people. It's more a question of where you hope to see it than when. I know. I yeah, mean, we'll probably yeah. finish it in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I would dearly like to persuade a, a mainstream broadcaster to, to show it. You know, I mean, GB News of the last four, five, six weeks have, have taken on the the role of questioner and they've been asking about vaccine injuries and about the validity of the lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. But I would like to see it go on mainstream media because it's not pointing fingers. It's not pointing blame. It's saying, please help these people and please be aware what these vaccines can do for whatever good they've done. They've damaged a lot of people and I don't think proper informed consent was given. Um, and I think the medical profession have been much, much too quiet on it. Um, this applies to thousands and thousands of people and across the world, mil- millions of people. Some of the uh, uh, side effects are temporary and some are life changing and some actually are life ending. If you look at the VAERS data in the US and even the yellow card stuff here, just look at the the reporting it's astonishing mm. that that that, that nobody is. says stop just stop now with these jabs put them aside and yeah. don't give any more of them until we can investigate mm. it but yet it goes on i believe in the 70s there was a swine flu jab given in america and after a handful of deaths they stopped it immediately and threw it out and here we are mm. in 2022 and they're still even though pfizer had to release another tranche of documents last week and even those, even though those documents proved that Pfizer themselves didn't recommend it for 
pregnant women or for lactating women, they're, they're still recommending it here but, now. We should ask just, I mean, oh. that, that's madness, Mark. Well, it is, and that's really why you wonder what it's all about, um, because they don't appear to be logical decisions. No. Do me a favour. Um, stay in touch with with, uh, with me. Uh, thanks for um, for coming on, by the way. Thanks to Jackie. Jackie suggested Pleasure. I should get in touch with Mark because of what he was doing. Um, and I did, and he, he came on graciously. I really appreciate that. And uh, if you want to chat about these issues in, in, in greater depth, any time you've got an open door here. But listen, I don't do the, the, the kiss arsey stuff, Mark, but thanks for speaking out. Because when you do it, you know, people are more inclined to maybe take a second look at it than if, um, you know, guys that have been doing this type of show for years, they do pay attention to you. And that's great. So thanks so much and good luck with the film. I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you. I mean, it, it would be really useful if a few more journalists and a few more doctors spoke out, actually, because, um, you know, they could be saving lives in the future. And that's really the most important thing. Amen to that. Mark Sharman, thank you so much. You've been listening to Mark Sharman. As I said, a hugely accomplished and respected journalist, uh, controller of sport, Channel 4, ran sports uh, at Sky. He ran Sky 1, Sky News and Sky Movies. And uh, as I said, did the print media jobs in the early days too. Nice to hear from him today. And thanks again to, uh, to Jackie for connecting us there. It's uh, coming up for a minute to the top of the hour. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Um, I'll be speaking to Marilyn Hawes in a few minutes. You don't want to miss Marilyn. There's news on that. Remember we had her on a few weeks back. We talked about uh, children and how addiction to pornography is, is almost an epidemic in, in, in boys and young boys and what it might be doing to them. There's news on that. There's mainstream media news on that. So we'll, we'll read that story. We'll talk to Marilyn Hawes. Uh, Freedom from Abuse is an organisation she runs. She's an amazing woman, former teacher. Uh, this hit her pretty hard some years ago when she realised that her own children were being abused by their teacher, would you believe? Uh, an amazing woman. She'll be on with me in a few minutes. Uh, your comments as well, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live at the top of the menu bar. Please chat to me. Right, Christopher Cross then. Why not? A bit of that. I don't mind it anyway. Sure, I'm in charge. I can play what I bloomin' well like. This is Arthur's theme, then. It's a Tuesday show, the 10th of May, 2022. Once in your life, you find her. Yeah, Christopher Cross there. Arthur's theme. That's the one. It's the Richie Allen show. What else would it be? Uh, Marilyn will join me momentarily. I'm looking for a story here. Having one of those weeks. I really am. <laughs> you know, I prepare meticulously. I've got stuff here. I've got little scraps of paper. I've got stuff online. And I can't find this little story that I wanted to read before saying hello to Marilyn. It's just Murphy's Law. But I'm going to keep talking to you while I scroll through my paperwork until I find it. Because I will find it. I'll find it, I tells you. Okie doke, okie doke. You're following the Wagatha Christie saga, are you? <laughs> if you're a football fan and a Manchester United or Everton fan, were you tickled today by the news that Wayne Rooney was uh, scheduled to testify in the great Wagatha Christie saga? It's a libel case being taken by Rebecca Vardy against Wayne's wife Colleen Rooney. 
Remember a couple of years ago, Colleen Rooney went on Twitter and said, Ha ha! I know who's been selling information about me to the tabloids. Ha ha! I caught her red-handed. It's Rebecca Vardy. So somebody in the media came up with Wagatha Christie. It's absolute genius. Rebecca Vardy said, we'll see about that. And has taken her to court. The judges said twice or three times, listen, you pair of Egypts, settle and be done with it because the costs are spiralling. But the two Egypts haven't settled. And it began today, I believe. And Wayne Rooney <laughs> was going to be testifying. I just found that hilarious. I don't know why. And I can't find that bloody story. I can't find that story, but I need to find it. And I need to get Marilyn back uh, on. I need to get her on the line in any case. So what I'm going to have to do momentarily is take another tune and uh, and, and sort myself right out. Uh, Marilyn Hawes, this is really, really interesting stuff, this. I will be scrolling through your comments as I'm chatting with Marilyn. So if there's anything you'd like to contribute to this conversation, please leave a message there on richieallen.co.uk. It's comment live. And um, I will um, read it out. As I said, okay, here's Blondie. Maybe next week. Right, Blondie, let's get rid of Blondie then. We need to have plenty of time with Marilyn. Welcome uh, back to the programme. Just before we say hi to Marilyn, this was on the BBC website today. Um, why do people watch porn in public? It's uh, an article by Manish Pandey and Rachel Stonehouse. A very interesting bit of journalism talking about the... I don't know, the prevalence of people watching pornography in the open, out in the open, in the library, in the classroom, in the House of Commons. Why would somebody do that? I remember having sexual harassment um, instructions years ago from a company I worked for, saying, you know, don't open a Playboy and all that nonsense, as if we would, right? We knew better. Apparently not. So a number of people are speaking out about this, and they're saying that the reason, that the reason for this, it goes back to childhood. A lot of young men are looking at pornography in public and it goes back to childhood. It goes back to them having the, the means to look at pornography uh, at a very early age. And of course, we're talking about smartphones and all of that. Now, you'll remember last time that Marilyn Hawes was on the programme, it's only a few weeks back, we said we talk about this because of the implications of it, what it does to children and to boys and young men in particular. So let's welcome back to the programme the founder and the CEO of Freedom From Abuse, uh, our friend Marilyn Hawes. Marilyn, welcome back. Hello, how are you, Richie? Okay. I'm very good, thanks. And that's, it, it's, what a coincidence that is. We said we'd, we'd get back into this subject today. And I the BBC know. is covering the fact that people are openly watching pornography in public. It isn't just men, but it's predominantly men. It's young men. Why would they? Well, it goes back to them having access to pornography, almost unfettered access to pornography at a, a very young age. And um, Sometimes when we do subjects like this on radio shows, people say we're being sensational, that it's some children, that we overblow this, that it's not as bad as we think it is. But it is, isn't it? It is bad. It is. It is. And I, and I think, to be honest, I think some of it, I, I don't know about the childhood stuff so much, but I mean, I think it is so readily available. Um, that, I mean, a lot of children, I mean, a lot of people are not going to believe this, but, you know, do come to my conference on Thursday and hear the global expert speaking. Um, I think it's very readily addictive. Um, the thing is, when the youngsters are watching it, because I, I go into schools and I talk to children who have been excluded or just children generally, 
And if you go into the schools as much as I do, the language that the kids throw across at each other is just horrendous. You're bitch, whore, C-U-N-T, all of that dreadful. So I'm often brought in, and I've never been brought in so much as this year, to talk to what teachers would describe as difficult children. They're not difficult. Their minds have been distorted by something. So I'll sit down and say to them, look, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here, I'm not here as a spy. I'm just trying to get behind your eyes. Um, I think I know the answers, but perhaps you'd like to explain to me because, you know, I might have got it wrong and I'd like to learn. So why do you think it's okay and you have normalized girls to boys, boys to girls, whatever, transgender, whatever it is, um, to call people such offensive names? And they will say social media. Yep, true. And then they'll go games. Yep, true. And then they'll say pornography. Yep, true. Absolutely. So why do you watch it? I said, what is it that makes you, I mean, tell me, you know, I know I look like a dinosaur, but tell me. And I go, because sex education in school is crap. And I said, I agree with you. And I don't think teachers should be doing it. I don't think it's fair on a teacher to be teaching geography or maths one minute and then talking to se- about sex the next one. Who should do it, Marilyn? Is it the parents? The parents should do it. No, no, well, the parents, yes, but even the parents don't. It's like, oh, talk to the hand because the phone's ain't listening. We all know what being a parent's like. So some conversation without a doubt, the parents need to be talking about it or just drop it idly into conversation when they're driving or something. And those conversations do need to be had, like about keeping safe. I mean, an inappropriate touch should be telling your three-year-old, two-year-old, you know. But the pornography is a different thing altogether because... You know, people like to believe their children aren't watching it. Well, they're wrong. The the average age now is 10 years old. Now, gone are the days when my boys, and I don't know how old you, you are, Richie, but, I mean, my boys, it would be magazines, wouldn't it? Top magazines, sales and the news yeah. Agent. yeah, yeah. And the boys will say, oh, well, we just want to what does a naked woman look like and all that sort of stuff. I said, well, I'm afraid, you know as I know, that watching the pornography that you are accessing is absolutely horrendous. It is brutal sex. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, brutal sex. Every, every single video that is flagged up um, will have strangulation on it. So yeah. you've got yeah. youngsters now acting out what they're seeing on pornography on their younger siblings. And I am not joking. So, so can, I, can, we, can, worry. can we go back to a couple of things here? By the way, Marilyn is a, an experienced former teacher, by the way. So this is really important to me. You said something a minute ago I want to pull you up on. You said that we should have, I think you said, correct me if I'm wrong, that we should have conversations with three-year-olds about, about inappropriate touch. Now, I think what you meant by that was that pedoph- pedophilia is so prevalent, it's so there oh. now, that yeah. we should, we, we've actually got to advise three-year-olds to watch out for it. I don't think you meant that we should tell a three-year-old not to inappropriately touch somebody else. Oh, think, no, no. Thank God for that. Right. No, <laughs> I'm, talk, no. yeah, yeah. I'm talking about, no, but we have got a problem now yeah. with um, the uh, assaults on play dates, little children playing on play It is on the rise because maybe older siblings are watching pornography Violent and porn. acting out on the younger ones. I'm talk, there's a wonderful little book that you can get written by an American, actually, an American uh, lawyer uh, called my, my Body Belongs to Me. And it's just little graphics of... Basically, I said to my little granddaughter, I mean, your private parts, you know, oh, that's, you know, that's, you know, they're your private. I mean, she's funny. She comes out of the bathroom and she goes, you can see my privates, Nana. <laughs> right. And, you know, just yeah, yeah. that. 
that is private. You don't, people you don't know don't, don't touch it. The doctor might have to look at it if there's something wrong. But the pornography thing is, we, we are, it is a juggernaut charging down the M1 at 300 miles an hour that is distorting young people's minds radically. Now, I think I sent you the link. You sent me the link, Only yeah. two weeks ago of the young boy in Norfolk, age 12, who had raped a 12-year-old girl. Now, just before you um, tell me about that, can I, can I do okay. a couple of quick questions with you? Because yeah, I, sure. I, I, I want the listeners to hear you, not me. Um, but just a couple of quick questions. Um, it, first of all, it's horrendous, but, but totally right that you've got to say to a child, your private part is yours. The doctor might need to look at it sometime which, with your mum there, but nobody else can. How awful. But I understand that has to be done. Now, with regards to pornography, I want to talk just very briefly about this before we talk about the 12-year-old. I would have gone in my early to mid-teens, but early teens, from Ireland, where we didn't have any top shelf magazines, to England, <laughs> and we didn't, the, the, the Pope banned them, so they were banned in Ireland, but we would have gone, and I would have had an order list from boys in school, and I remember the names of these magazines, Fiesta and Escort and stuff like that, and yeah. they were photographs of nude girls, that's all yeah. they were. Now that's very stimulating to a young man. I like to think that it didn't do me too much harm. Now, there are other issues there, you know, that the girls who uh, appeared in those photographic studios, they might have had things going on in their lives, they mightn't have wanted to be there. I totally get all that. But from, from my point of view, I'm looking at a naked woman, she's pretty, and I like to think it didn't do me any harm. However, there's a big distinction, and you've made it, but I think it needs to be doubled down on. Um, when I saw pornographic videos, they were Italian-made, cheesy music, and it was people having very timid, very tame sex. You are right when you say that pornography on the internet today, on the usual sites, Pornhub, com, it's brutally graphic, horribly violent pornography. There's no two yeah. ways about that. Um, so, so the first question I suppose I wanted to ask you is, that stuff that we did when we were teenagers, with the cheesy porns, how do you feel about that? As oh, that's normal. Right. I, I think I think it's perfectly. Well, I don't really like the word normal, but I mean it is perfectly part of a young lad's growing up. Absolutely, yeah. you know, as to what does someone's body look like? What does I mean? I can remember looking at my sisters. You know, I was brought up a Catholic like you were, and no one yeah. talked about sex. They told us how rabbits copulated. That was it. That's all we got from the nuns. But you know, I mean, I was up there looking up my my sister's human biology book to see yeah. how our own bodies worked because no one told us. But those sort of things. They were not graphic in the way that they are now. I mean, even when the you're talking about the porn videos you would have watched when you were younger, my boys would have done. I mean, yeah. they were probably harmless because those ones then were done with like clever photography, um, clever lighting, and it wasn't in any way real. But it made the point. Oh, this is what sex is. This is what I can't stand all that. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something absolutely positively obscene and distorting for an 11-year-old or 10-year-old to be watching. Um, you know, and I, yeah. I mean brutal, hardcore porn right from the off. And of course, the offers is introduced with, um, "Are you man enough to watch this?" So, what young lad isn't going to say, "Yeah, I'm man enough to watch it?" And boom, there it is. Somebody sort of, you know, rape. Um, oral sex where the woman is choking and vomiting that stays on the video uh, strangulation uh, att attempted strangulation um, ejaculation it's horrendous yeah. it's all real and the women that are doing this they are totally burnt out after three months. They are not good for anything. Some of them, I use your imagination where I talk about ejaculation, some of them now now have gonorrhea of the eyes 
Jesus uh, some of them after three months have to have um, their back passage stitched and other areas as well. It is hideous. I remember Absolutely. the academic, sorry, I remember the academic Gail Dines talking to me on this programme about oh, the impact on, on the women. She's speaking at our conference on Thursday. Say hello to her from, 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 from me, will you? Because she's a, she's a great lady, is Gail. Oh, she's wonderful. And I know she was in Boston. Um, maybe she still is, maybe she's come back. She is, but, she's still there. So here's the question now, right? Marilyn Hawes is our guest. Folks, can you do me a favour, by the way? Um, there's nobody else in the country doing what Marilyn does. So if you've got a couple of quid, right, go to... Oh, go to Freedom... Dash or freedom hyphen abuse.org, freedom hyphen abuse.org, and, and support this work. There aren't too many people looking out for your children like Marilyn Hawes. Uh, we'll, we'll to be honest, because the, the, the damage this is doing, it, it is absolutely horrendous. You've now got like, if they what because the thing is, it's addictive, you see. Yeah. We have a thing in our brain called dopamine, and this chemical is the happy drug. So if you and I were winning the lottery tonight, you know, it would be off the scale. But it doesn't matter to us so much because we're not going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And anyway, we are over 25. Yeah. And the brain is developing and very vulnerable to spikes in chemicals up to the age of 25. So if you had trauma, cortisol will cause, is a very damaging chemical that actually eats away at the brain cells and the neural pathways. Dopamine, my golly, the damage that does, dopamine, is permanent. And it's very easily addictive because the brain gets to like, the, oh, I like this feeling of happy, happy. This is very nice. And then it gets jittery like any other drug. If you like cocaine, heroin, yes. whatever it is, I, I need it again. I need it again. So they it needs it to be satisfied. so quickly. Yeah. Now, here's addictive. the question. Here's the question, right? It needs to be satisfied so they keep doing it. Has anybody, yes, right. has any university attempted to do a proper clinical study where... They tried to prove your thesis. Now, don't jump down my throat. I'm not saying I don't agree with you, but, <laughs> but I, know, I, know what you, I know what your thesis is. You believe that when lads are exposed to this, they, they are more likely then to be abusive towards girls or women. Now, now I, I, I kind of agree with that. Has anybody looked into that properly? Yes, they are. And also, Gail Dines, I'm talking to her all the time. There is a study coming out as well, uh, which will be out next year, that proves that we're right. And at the conference on Thursday, we have got a nurse, senior nurse, uh, who also knows Gail, and she's talking, she's done a dissertation on it. Um, and her name's Louise Barraclough, and she's in charge of all the SARC centres, the sexual abuse referral centres across the southwest. Now, I'm getting young girls come up to me and saying in the schools, this is how he tells me I've got to do it. No, you haven't. They think this is a rite of passage to get in a boyfriend. It is completely debasing and humiliating. And the boys think that, you know, because some of these videos are saying, ah, this is what the girls want. Watch what the girls want. No girl wants this. It's horrendous. Yeah. And if the boys keep on watching it and watching it and watching it and, and you know, the, you, we have, like, if you took Panadol tonight, your, your receptors for pain, you know, the, the Panadol affects that receptor. Dopamine, if it spikes and spikes and spikes on the developing brain through watching porn, the dopamine spikes two to four times higher than the safe level on a young developing brain under right? 25. The dopamine in time, the dopamine receptors burn out and you can't feel pleasure. And then greater risks start because you, you get erectile dysfunction. Um, it reduces permanently the grey matter in your brain, so it reduces the size of the brain. 
Um, and and these, these are real, real facts. Um, this is just dreadful. And Gail will tell you what they're finding now, which is horrendous. She's told me of several cases, six to eight cases that she knows on her caseload, where there's a thing called non-pedophilic child abusers. And these are men in their oh, 30s, yeah, 40s yeah. who have overdosed so much. They are now abusing children to try and get a spike in pleasure. This is a real concern. Now, who's taking responsibility for this? No one. The main, the main people that own and manage the whole of the porn industry are called MindGeek, and they are based in Canada. And it's if they were taken out, there would be a massive, great big hole, thank God, that would be left because someone has got all the kids do. You ask them, how do you access this? They go on Snapchat premium, right? So that that shouldn't be allowed. There should be. Why isn't this being banned? Why isn't age age restricted? And do you know the other thing they're doing? If they put two images in, if they put imagery in of tears, crying tears and an aubergine, it will go straight to porn. And that, and that is representing an ejaculating penis. These are little cheats that they know that they can use. They're little they cheats use. that they know. And, and the parents Jesus. don't know they know it. And that's why it's so important to train the parents. So the parents can, by talking to the kids, isn't going to make it worse. In fact, it reduces their interest. Well, this is important now because you said that, you've heard, and I don't doubt you for a minute, that, that girls have come to you and said, look, boys are speaking to us about this. They expect us to do this, this horrible stuff. Yep. Now, yep. at that stage, I would hope to God that the parents are informed. Well, what we like to do is, uh, I like to do what I call it triangulated education. We go in and talk to the children, and then I always say to the school, you now need the parents online tonight. You, the parents need to understand. What do I mean by triangulated education? I mean parent, school, and the teachers, the staff. You take one of those out, it's not balanced. It can't work. The parents buy the devices. The parents are, we're all responsible. We're all responsible, but the parents buy the devices. They get the devices out the bedrooms to start with. That will save a lot of issues. But they need to understand and educate themselves about what it is. It's not like it was years ago when their husbands or these kids' dads watched it. It has moved on yeah, in leaps yeah, and it bounds. It is, a com- it, it is utterly vile what these youngsters are remember watching. The, you remember the, um, remember the lover's guide? Remember that? I mean, that's the yeah. sort of stuff oh, yeah. that we would sneak. We would sneak that video... Yeah. As lads and, and giggle and watch it, but this was, you know, two that, adults. That was it was consensual was har- and it wasn't in any way violent. So let, let me ask you this. That was harmless, but, th- but this is now, you know, it's giving these kids a, a toxic stew in their stomach. It's rape fantasy know, stuff. It, it's depicting, it, like, I, I challenge any of our adult listeners, if you browse the home pages of the big, of the famous porn websites, what you are shown straight away is the the rape stuff. The two or three guys piling in on a girl, That's and right. it's horrendous. Now I've got to read some comments. Uh, Marilyn Hawes is our guest. Freedom from abuse, uh, CEO and founder. Have a listen to a couple of these now. Um, Tim says, fifteen years ago, we didn't have half of today's decline into madness and pornography. Uh, the normalisation amongst kids, uh, we didn't have that with a lack of respect for, um, for, for, for themselves, let alone others. That's right, says Tim. Listen, listen to this from Sharon. I didn't even think of this. This is, this is um, good, but it's horrible too. 
She says, Sharon, it isn't just pornography that is freely available for our kids and affecting them. My son, late teens, tells me that students at school watch films of people being executed. These are the gore sites. Yeah, I'm I'm aware of this. Gore sites where you can see Mexican cartels and and, and stuff out of the Middle East. Real people being, being murdered. And that's very easy for a child to access. Can I ask you, I know you're not a psychologist, just leave the dopamine aside for a minute, and that's very important. What else is it doing? What do you think it does to a young boy or a young girl if they look at a, 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 a video in high definition of somebody being murdered? What does that do to them? Well, it's the trauma, isn't it? I mean, it's not what the young brain can cope with. So, you know, that immediately creates trauma. Like children, there's a, a, a thing out at the moment called uh, poppy playtime, right? Sounds innocent enough. But I was in a school the other day, and it's it's horror. It's basically watching horror. It looks quite innocent. There's a little fluffy toy, and doesn't that look cute? And poppy playtime, oh, that sounds nice. I was in a school the other day. We've got uh, children in reception watching it. They're four years old. And the eight-year-old kids were going, you're joking, and I'm not joking. And, the, and this is where the parents, I said the parents, you, you try and get parents to an evening like this. You, you try, honestly, we had 12 parents the other night for a school that had 150 children. That was a good turnout. That was a brilliant That's turnout. That's very good, yeah. But, you know, you go back 10 years, if you had anything on safeguarding, or tonight we're going to have a thing on child protection, and 10 years ago, the school hall would be full. Now, I know we've had COVID, true. I know many more people have to work. I agree. But what we're doing in the evenings is online stuff at half past seven, half past seven at night, eight o'clock at night, where you do it online. You can turn your video off, sit there in your onesie, have a glass of wine or beer. Nobody has to see you, but you're learning. And Nelson Mandela, a great man, education is the only weapon we have to change the world because the people that are making shed loads of money out of this don't give a damn. You know, look at the porn site. The kids are accessing pure filth is one. Pure filth, That's one. Yeah. Yeah. Have a look at that, any adults. There's another one. I'm not going to say the word, but gag me and yeah. four-letter word me. Yeah? yeah? Kids are watching that. Kids are watching it. No wonder they're traumatised. And then when they're addicted to it, they get this brain fog. In fact, it actually does sound like your normal teenager. But they get brain fog. They get irritable, which is typical teens. They, they can't concentrate properly. Um, they, they, their schoolwork drops. Because they're waking up in the night, they want more. And they actually have self-loathing because they don't like the fact that they're doing it. And how do they get off it? Well, they have to put themselves in position where they can't watch it. But this is the trouble, you see. Some of these people, I don't know so much about going back to your childhood. I think it is an addiction and people have to keep watching it. That's the problem. It is an addiction. Look, I'll be honest, because um, I believe in being, being honest. When the internet took off, when, how old was I? I suppose I was early 20s. Yeah, I watched quite mm. a bit of porn, I'd be the first to admit that. Mm. Because it was readily available. You had your laptop and it was there. Now, I'm not, I'm, there's, there's no... But here, I did. And I think any other guy who says he didn't is a liar. I did, yeah, and I did it. But but um, but I was watching, again, it was just a little bit on from the simple old Italian-German stuff. Like, it wasn't any of this madness. You know, it was still early days when the internet first became a big thing. Um, it was just that you could have, you could see porn films basically at the touch of your fingertip. But it wasn't that violent stuff. 
Oh, no, no. No, that, no, that's, no, that's a 10 years. That's the last decade, isn't it? Or maybe a it little bit more. It is the last decade because yeah. I can remember when I first started doing this programme. We've got so many programmes. I mean, I would love parents to just say, look, you know, I, I would love to pay £10 to learn. You don't have to be, do it with your school. I'd love £10 to learn. I would, I would set up an evening tomorrow night and do it for parents. Pay me a tenner, go online, and I'll do it. I don't care if one parent wants it, I'll do it. Anything that stops this madness to, to damage their children's lives and, and, and what's happening and how they're viewing sexuality. It's just horrendous. You know, you... And I feel so passionate about it because as they get older as well, so they get into their, well, now they've got a sexual partner at 18, whatever is 19. They they don't get the same spike of pleasure in in an intimate relationship because they've had such a high spike watching pornography. They can't get it with their natural partner. Now, what is also happening are the date rapes. Now, okay, so we've got the date rape drug. But what I'm saying now to the girls is, is you don't know, you're going out with this fella or, you know, boy, if you're gay, whatever, and, and the boy or one of them, but not the other one, um, has been watching pornography. Now, he is already sexually excited and sexually aroused, okay? So he's meeting this person who hasn't watched it, already sexually aroused. Now, he's very quickly going to want that satisfied. And the other person doesn't want it and wonder what the heck, what the heck's going on. And then he really pushes it, and hence someone's raped. There's a high-profile case, actually. A I won't name him, even though everybody knows who he is. But a, a very talented Manchester United footballer is currently yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. playing. Because a, a video emerged of him threatening the girl when she said she didn't want to have sex with him. Yep. And it's a dreadful thing. Um, listen, I'm not virtue signalling here. It is. I've never done that. I've asked. Many a time yeah. I've asked my missus, shall we have a bit of fun? And my missus has said, I'm not in the humour. I have a headache. And that's just the end of that. You know what I mean? Have a cold shower and get oh, over that, it, Paddy. That's, and I'm not being funny. That is respect. Because I, I say yeah. to the girls, you know, yeah. when, when we're Least talking to the girls and the boys, I do it all mixed. And I say to them, you know, look, every woman in this school will have had this said to them. Oh, I can't help it. I want it. You're frigid. You would if you loved me. No. If you love me, you wouldn't push. Of course you wouldn't push, yeah. And sexual rights are human rights for both parties. No woman should, you know, should demand it because women abuse men as well and abuse boys. And and that has to be absolutely taken on board. But, you know, I, I really push with the kids in school because the schools aren't doing it. And I mean, I'm, I'm not slagging off my own profession, but the teachers have got enough to do. They are not social workers. And, you know, I say to them, and this is what I think, external people should go in like ourselves and talk to these kids because it, we can say, we can take the children over that line that a teacher dare not go. And between over that line to where we are taking the children, um, you know, to understand better. That's where the real education takes place and the teachers don't go there. Let me ask That's you two questions, Marilyn. Two questions on that. Number one, has anybody attempted to put a number on this or a percentage? If you take 13, 14-year-old boys, now I know you think they're a lot younger when they're accessing this and I think you're right. What sort of percentage, does anybody have even an inkling as to what sort of percentage of lads would be accessing this stuff? Well, I've got a thing right in front of me now, right? Um, 63%, I'm taking this off an expert site, okay? 
Uh, 63% of children aged 11 to 13 uh, are watching pornography. 63, which, do you mind sharing their website? 63% of parents are, this was in 2020, uh, report on people, pornography and age verification. 83% of parents said there should, and I agree with this, there should be robust age verification controls in place to stop any child under 18 watching. And I agree with them. But you, but, but, with but them. you also said it doesn't make a bloody difference because they're not even having to use Pornhub. They don't even have to no, do it. They, they're using bloody TikTok. They're using Instagram. I know, I know they this are. Is the thing, I know they uh, are. Yeah. Just, it, 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 is, it is the youngest group here, aged 10 to 13. And, you know, it, it is just somebody... But it's all about the money and it's all about corruption, isn't it? Has got to find a way. I mean, of stemming this back because these kids are hanging on by their fingernails to a cliff edge. I wonder what the next, when this current young teen, and I mean young teens are like 13, 12 years old, when they get older, another 10 years from now, what are we going to be facing? What are they going to be like? I mean, this is why, it's just, if you want to, if the, listening public want to watch something go on youtube and watch raised on porn um it's a, this is when all the neuroscience like first came out october last year it's on youtube it's a half hour watch with proper neuroscientists talking about stuff anybody wants my document on pornography they can email me for free i'll send it out and it's all bona fide people that are watching it. anyone that wants to come to the conference on thursday online it's free email me there's no excuse unless you'll and it will also be recorded but you know it's we've got a guy talking a graham goulden i don't know if you've ever spoken to him richie no um, but the name is familiar was, yeah. a, was a, a copper and he is 30 years ago but he now does a whole program on violence in men and boys but we've also got maggie Blythe talking uh who's a detective chief constable down in avon and somerset talking about violence against women and girls and all this is a, it is a societal issue and we've all got to step up. And I, I put a thing out on Twitter the other day saying, which of the three wise monkeys are you? See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Are you living in a bubble? And we have, we have that's this... that's not how we can live. No, and we have, the, this, um, we have this reality where, where you talked about a generation. So in a generation's time, you might have, you know, a large proportion of the male population completely unable to have a healthy relationship with a woman or with a man or whoever just not able to because because of their exposure to this stuff. Let me read a couple of more messages because I, I did invite yeah, yeah. them. Yeah. And uh, just before I do the messages, folks, um, please get on to Marilyn's website. It's freedom-abuse.org or freedom-abuse.org and do support or send her a couple of bob. Um, I'm endorsing her work. <laughs> I'm endorsing. I don't endorse very many people. Anything. The government hate me government because hates I keep you. Um, calling them out, you see. <laughs> they don't like you at all. Uh, the founder well, no, and... because I'm outspoken and I'll tell the truth. I, I, I will never be. I'm not going to be dumbed down because you, you, you want. I would suggest every single parent wants the very best for their child, and no child goes to school at five years old and says, "Oh, do you know, one day I want to go to prison." You know, and basically the adults they, they only have us to help them stay on the straight and narrow. And if we're not going to do it because we don't want to have those conversations, and in fact, you know, knowledge is power. And not having the conversations with their children makes them more vulnerable. Luke, doesn't make them safer. Doesn't make them any not safer. having the conversation isn't going to stop it happening. Luke has sent us this message: pornography is just as bad as cocaine, and that's from experiences. Luke, true, true. As addictive as cocaine. Wow. It, it is. It is very quickly addictive. He's absolutely right. Thank you, Luke. He's absolutely right. Now look at this. I mean, 
two thirds of this has come from the Office of National Statistics, right? I got this. I got this the other day. Two thirds of 16 to 13, 34 year olds girls have been sexually harassed in the last 12 months. I mean, it's, it's dreadful. And this sexual harassment goes on because it's, they're watching it on, 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 the, on the social media the games. So what we've got now is a problem called hyperreality. And hyperreality is where fiction and nonfiction, so truth and fake, have joined up. So if you thought about the game Grand Theft Auto, which is hideous, there are plenty of youngsters and young offenders institutes who decided, having watched and watched and watched Grand Theft Auto, oh, I know what I'll do, I'll go and do that on the streets. Well, funny enough, you can't rape and assault women on the streets. Or so you shouldn't do. Time. Let me ask you a question. Hang on now, because I'm, I've got to challenge this. So you, you think that you could make a direct link between what or playing Grand Theft Auto um, habitually and maybe, maybe, maybe in, an, in an addictive way, you could make a connection between that and the young man going out and behaving like the characters in a video game. Well, is he a great? Let, let, let me just ask the question. A great, great friend of mine who might be listening to this is a guy called Hayden Hewitt, and um, he was the the front man uh, with the co-founder of LiveLeak.com, a, a website which is no, no longer with us. And he would have been very involved many years ago in the discussion around video nasties. When people wanted video nasties to be banned, like they wanted Driller Killer to be banned, they wanted mm-hmm. I Spit on Your Grave to be banned. That's a horrible film, that Spit on Your oh. Grave. Awful stuff, right? But the governments were banning them on, on the basis that, you know, they were protecting us from the films because... The, the behaviour in those films, we might be encouraged to, to do certain, you know, to do that behaviour, to, 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 to act like that. But there was never any evidence that, you know, you'd pick up a drill and go out and try to become a driller killer. And there are those listening to this now who have enormous respect for you just as I do. And they'll say, it's a bit of a stretch to say that playing Grand Theft Auto all the time might make you more likely to steal cars and beat up women. You, you've got to also, may I interject here, you've got to also think you don't know the mind of that person anyway. You don't know the background of that person anyway. You don't know what um, significant things have already happened in their early years right. that have made them not the best balanced, balanced child. I remember, you may remember, I certainly remember it, the first shooting we ever had in this country was by Michael Ryan, Hungerford, the Hungerford Massacre. Yes. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, yeah. And he had been watching all sorts of nasties um, with guns and stuff, and he got up that morning and shot 15 people dead in Hungerford High Street. If you can learn French online and learn it fluently, you can learn anything, can't you? It, you don't know the balance of the, the, that person's mind. How, no, you're making, how, a, good, you're making how a good point. How high is their emotional intelligence? You're making a thing. good point. You're making a good point. If someone is disturbed anyway, it's not yes. going to be of any help if they're exposed no. to this. But I was opposed to the banning of the video nasties, even though I was only a child. Not because I wanted to watch them, but because <laughs> I should decide what I can and can't watch. I mean, I've no interest in watching silly movies like that, but I don't want governments telling me as an adult that I can't watch that stuff. Now, what we're talking about now is different because the the, the goalposts have shifted. The pornography on offer today isn't consensual, loving, gentle, body exploration sex. It's brutal rape fantasy stuff. And, 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 And there's something very wrong with that. And I can buy your thesis. I can buy it that this is having a profound impact. I mean, you've said it yourself, they've studied the brains of youngsters, haven't they, under MRI scans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, And they can see the physiological changes. 
So the yeah, proof absolutely. is there. It's definitely changing their brains, yeah. Of course there is. And the chemicals yeah. that people just don't... I have, I have a slide that says so many parents going to school worried about their children's diet and their academic status, but they don't actually think about the neuroscience of their mind. Their minds, children's minds are not like ours. They're not made the same way. Uh, they're just not. Um, and different things don't come online. So, for example... A child of, I mean, and this is interesting for me, I look back, and, I mean, I didn't know this stuff when I was a mum, but a child of eight years old, up to eight years old, only has their subconscious brain. The conscious mind hasn't come online. So everything you say to a child, tease a child, they believe, they believe is fact because the subconscious mind has no sense of humor. It has no rationale. It can't critically think. It just is. It's like a sponge. And this is why I keep saying to the police, I said time and time again, if a child under eight says they have been sexually abused, they have either seen it or they've had it happen because their brain is not um, advanced enough, has not developed enough to be able to make it up. Now, the critical mind, where I'm critically thinking, hmm, shall I do this, shan't I do that, what might the consequences be, that doesn't fully come on board until the kids are 12. So they don't think like us. And that's the thing that people need to understand. The, you know, so if, if only parents yeah. would understand it is in study on the young brain uh, um, and what you could quite inadvertently cause some trauma because you, they're not able to... So, say, for example, you tell a child off, don't do that again. So the child knows, that they can't think it through, they just know that, oh, I don't want to upset mummy. Right. That upsets yeah, yeah. mummy. I don't do it because that upsets daddy. But they can't work it out, the background story to that, until they're later on, until they're like 11 or 12 years old. So these are things that are really significant when you are in a school situation, I think is extremely... And, and, and the teachers are really grateful when we go in and we do these trauma talks because they know they are more effective teachers. They get more out of the children. And if they know what the triggers are and if they know what the behavioural characteristics are, because behaviour is a global language, and whatever, whether you're Chinese, Japanese, African, wherever you're from, the trauma comes out in the same way. And, and if you can understand the behavior, and that's why all our training focuses on behavior, the impact of different things that will come out as behavior you know, of those that are at risk and those who are the risk. Now, let me ask you a couple more questions case. before we run out of time, right? A um, couple of quick comments first, though. Paul Smith makes an interesting comment, I think. He says, children that are secure and given unconditional love are not interested in perversions. I think he's right. And they I have their own right. minds. Yeah. They, they were not, they, 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 I, I, I absolutely believe that right, because that child is stable. And that's why I mentioned emotional intelligence, emotional resilience. Those, those are the children that he's describing will be so busy with their lives, you know, playing sport, doing this, doing that doing the healthy things in life. And, and, and I do think, you know, during lockdown, so I don't want to keep on blaming COVID because this isn't the whole issue of the problem, but so many people were at home online and watching stuff yeah. and getting into stuff they shouldn't have been doing. And by the and way, COVID, the by the way, COVID is not to blame for that. Governments are no, to blame for that. Governments are to blame, blame for that. It. Yeah, governments Loads who locked up children. But Absolutely. If you can bring up, this is, this is the whole problem. If you, do you remember the guy who sadly shot down in Plymouth, that, that three, and the three-year-old child got caught up in the shooting and he shot his own mother. Do you remember this? 
no. uh, several months ago, about six, eight months ago, down in Plymouth. Vaguely. Do you vaguely remember it? Vaguely. Well, when, I, I, when anybody does something like this, Maybe I not. take a look at their background. I go and do a deep dive in their background, right? So that guy, let's look at this. Okay, so he was only in his late 20s, I think, early 30s, if that. And um, when he was five... His dad uh, went to prison. They were estranged. He was a physical abuser. He was an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. At five years old, his mum, this has got an 18 rating Grand Theft Auto, right? His mum bought him Grand Theft Auto. He then became uh, a difficult little child. I don't like the word difficult, but obviously that watching Grand Theft Auto caused some trauma. So his behaviours were not good. By the time he got to primary school, he had hit a boy in the face so hard he broke his own fist. Jesus. And he was playing in the, in the, with sticks in the playground, um, leave you for dead. Now, nobody thought that was weird. I mean, you're going back now probably 18 years because he was 30 when this happened, 18, 20 years maybe. Nobody thought, oh, that's the, because also it was known that he was fiddling with girls at that age because most abusers are fiddling when, kids are, when they're 10 or 11 years old. And then um, he was doing that. It was known that he was watching pornography then or getting magazines and stuff addicted to that. Then no one did anything. So off he goes to secondary school where he is not getting the response he wants from girls. Um, and so he joins Incel, which is that oh, involuntary Jesus. Yeah, group. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he actually said to a child in the school, one day I'm going to blow people up. And he did. And no one interceded in that time. Nobody. That, there was a load of opportunities no based one. on that. This, this incel, they're a bunch of lunatics, aren't they? Well, it's, it started off as a woman who wanted, who wanted to set up a site, like a Facebook site, before Facebook existed, and it's become this. But, I mean, I think the, um, the government are looking at incel as something like terrorism, but, you know, this it, misogyny against women. But what people don't talk about is misogyny is the hatred of women by boys, is a thing called misandry, and that is the hatred of f- f- by women to men. And so I'm going into schools. I'm pushing and pushing and pushing on respect. The g- yeah. school are going on about consent. If you don't respect yourself, if you don't respect your life, if you don't respect the people in your life or around your life, consent means nothing. And you have to res- respect is the most important thing, self-respect and general respect. So when someone says no, you respect it and you don't push it. Well, that's what, you that goes no back. respect, you're going to carry on. Yeah, that goes back to Paul's point about if you come from a family where you're given Absolutely a lot of love, right. you, you will Absolutely have respect. Right. So here's, here's the $64 million question. <laughs> Is there an agenda? Is there, when you see this happening to children, um, and nobody does anything about it. And I know they're aware of it. I believe you when you say 63%, maybe more, of boys are being exposed to this, and that's devastating. That's un- unimaginable what it will do to those boys and the problems we'll have societally much later on. So this is known about. So yep. the question begs to be asked then, who benefits? Is there is the, there a the group of people? Money. There's money in it. Money, 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 money. It's all about money and the corruption for money. And that's what it's all about. I mean, no I mean, in terms of uh, about these kids, no so, one cares. Sorry, no one cares. Children are disposable. No, I get that. I, I get the money aspect of it. I totally get that. But I mean, children growing up um, with severe emotional problems, uh, p- people who become dysfunctional and can't yeah. have healthy relationships. Is there is there a is there a body of people who 
would like to see that happen? Is is that part of some agenda maybe to screw people's minds up? Does it make them more malleable, more controllable in the future? Do, do getting you know what? them on I drugs? Don't think they care. You I don't, don't care. I, I don't personally think they even consider it. I don't care. I don't think they're they're grounded people like like you and I are, who can see they are only interested. It's like paedophiles with the dark web. They don't give a monkeys. What you see, I, I, I say to the children, you know, go, go in and I talk about doing stuff in front of their webcam, yeah? And I go, you know, if someone came to your door tonight and said, oh, Mr. Brown, I'm, I'm a paedophile, but I'd like to come into your daughter's bedroom, please, you get smack in the face. But when you are going online on your webcam in your bedroom, that's what you're doing. If you're talking to a strange man who is encouraging you to masturbate in front of the webcam, and then I say to the kids, okay, because I, you know, I told you, I go into the prisons, not before, you know, before COVID and all that. And these fresh videos, these fresh images they get, and the worst offender is Facebook because there's no security on it. Um, and they browse through there and they help themselves to whatever stuff they can get. But if they can get a good bit of footage or a good bit of imaging that they like, goes into the dark web, it's called fresh meat. And then the bartering starts. And I say to the kids, why would someone pay a thousand pounds for a bit of video of you playing with yourself that no one has ever seen? That's yeah. why it's called fresh yeah. and you are called meat. You are a lump of meat. That's it. It's vile. And then it goes to the dark work. Why would I want to pay that much money for that? What am I going to do with it? So they go, oh, you maybe want to blackmail me. Yeah, maybe. That's called doxing. Um, oh, you might want to send it on to somebody else. Yes, after I've watched it. But what is it I want that for? And they look at me. They haven't got a damn clue. And I said, because they want to masturbate over it. That's what they do. That's what their aim is. How horrible and to be telling that to children, it, though. sell it on. How horrible. And no one's having that discussion. No one is telling the How kids. That, They're it? frightened of telling them. I'm not frightened of telling them because I care about every single child living a healthy life. Marilyn's children were abused by their teacher. It's how Marilyn got into child yeah. protection. Um, in case you're wondering, dear listener, Marilyn Halsey, you've been listening to, we're just about to run out of time. Before I give Marilyn the last word, and she can tell you about the conference online, by the way, do go to freedom-abuse.org and if you can, support her efforts. Uh, she's on her own there. And, I, am, uh, I am. I feel like a lone wolf. Yeah. Um, people do try to stop me. Somebody tried blocking me coming on tonight, didn't they? Try to, you know, to try to get... There's lots of, you're fighting a battle against a corrupt society that wants people to be dumbed down. And I am not. I've had death threats. I am not going to be silenced because with every bone and fibre of my body, I believe in this generation of children. And I know I've saved some from the jewels of hell because when I've gone into schools, they've disclosed they've been raped and those people are now doing time. And that's the work I do. Nothing has made me more passionate in my life than this because I know what it's like to have three damaged children. You, you do. You do, absolutely and, uh, right thank you do. for your time, Richie. You're, Give over. You're, uh, no, listen, you so no, thank you. And, well, thanks for having the courage to come on. I'll tell you very briefly what happened, dear listener. Um, I've interviewed a lot of people over the years. Some of them are very controversial. Uh, somebody got in touch with Marilyn and said not to come on this programme because I'm basically a horrible uh, person because I've interviewed people in the past that are unsavoury. And they tried to shame her into not coming on the programme. And uh, th that's, I mean, that's, that's the level of nonsense you're up against. And that might very well be somebody who um, is, is working against 
the the efforts of Marilyn Hawes and freedom from abuse. So that so that's genuine. That's the sort of that you know, crap genuine, you have to put up with. Yeah. Genuine. And I was told in that same email because I sent it to you, didn't I? Yeah, you sent that, it to me. Um, he would recommend me to other people as long as I came off your show. That's right. Well, this and you, do you know what? That's it's a lovely compliment. That it's a comp, it's a lovely compliment. That because this is the most listened to independent news radio show in the world. And that's uh, a fact. Why I love it. I love it because 100%. you know BBC has got so sanitised. Sky News has not got much better, and these big organisations don't want the truth. People, they want people gagged. And and uh, God bless you because um, you're a breath of fresh air. Because the truth doesn't get out there. Um, any other way other than people like yourself that are brave enough to have people on like me. You're too kind. Tell us about the conference on Thursday. Can they access it through your website? They can come to me through the website and find my email address, which is Marilyn, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N dot Hawes, H-A-W-E-S, H-A-W-E-S, at freedom-abuse.org. I'll send you all the info. It's free. You go online at 10 a.m. You'll be sent the link. And it's until one o'clock and there's some really interesting speakers. We've got educators there with boys in education, girls in education and what a court case with peer on peer abuse looks like. And this is our fourth conference that's been sponsored by Lee Day Law Firm. Um, well done, and, uh, Marilyn. Well they're done. Fans, they're so supportive. If you've got young children, you'd be crazy oh. not to watch that conference on, on every Thursday. Every single teacher and every single parent should step up and watch this because I kid you not, this is a juggernaut heading to run over children's lives. God bless you, Marilyn. Thanks for coming back on the programme. Thanks. God bless. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye-bye now. Speak real soon. Thanks. Marilyn Hawes, freedom-abuse.org. As I said, if you can support her, support her. Uh, The time is rapidly running out today. It's coming up for, is it four minutes already to the top of the hour? So, engrossed in what Marilyn was saying, I didn't even line up a track so God only knows what I've lined up there. Pandora says that as I mentioned earlier on Richie the runners of the porn industry, the people behind it, the media and more they admit an agenda to debase other cultures and it is very profitable says Pandora thanks Pandora. Uh, Chris says the family is a cornerstone of society the state has been trying to destroy the family unit and undermine parents for decades. Thanks so much Uh, for that uh, Chris and Craig says and this is important a point to make I was making a similar point but it's a good point most people who play violent video games don't commit those crimes most of people who watch violent films don't commit violent crimes most people who watch porn well they don't play out those scenarios most people who live in poverty don't commit crimes so if all of that is true then um, should should we not be prosecuting We, we shouldn't be prosecuting the majority for the actions of a minority and we should be looking for other reasons. And those reasons usually have something to do with upbringing and lack of responsible role models. And that comes back to parental responsibility, says Craig, echoing a point that Paul made earlier on. Janet says, Richie, what about the sex education taught to three-year-olds in schools? Well, I, I picked up that point, Janet, with Marilyn on the last show that she did with me and she is not in favour of that. She is not in favour of three-year-olds being asked to entertain ideas about sexuality and gender identity. No, she is not. 100% not. Um, We talked about that last time. Thank you for listening. Speak to you again tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time for Wednesday's programme. Leaving you with God knows what. All right, there you are. (laughs) Okay, it's not too bad then. Candy Staten, I think. See you tomorrow. Look after yourselves. Bye.